Also, I was the kind of kid who would sit on the school bus and read Nabokov's Lolita when I was 13. So literature always had a uh, special draw for me. It's uh, able to express uh, historical experience in a very complex way. Other forms can't really capture that complexity. Today we're interviewing Dr. Vladislav Beronia, who is an assistant professor of Slavic and Eurasian studies here at the University of Texas. He holds a PhD in Slavic languages and literature from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. His interests include Bosnian, Serbian, and Croatian literature and comics, especially from the perspective of memory and trauma. He is currently working on a book called Unacknowledged Losses, a Literature of Exile and Trauma in the Wake of Yugoslavia, which examines the literary responses to the Yugoslav Wars of the 1990s and their aftermath as politicized practices of mourning. You're listening to The Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So what specific issues in your field drew you to your focus, and why does it matter? So uh, one of the things that drew me to the topic of mourning and trauma, specifically in the context of the Yugoslav Wars, is my uh, is my own personal history. Uh, uh, so my family came to the U.S. in 1996 as refugees, uh, and so again, it's it's very it's very personal in many ways. Uh, but also, I was the kind of kid who would sit on the school bus and read Nabokov's Lolita when I was 13. So literature always had a uh, special draw for me, and uh, that is because it's uh, able to express uh, historical experience in a very complex way. Uh, in ways that other um, other forms uh, and other uh, yeah the other forms can't really capture that complexity. Yeah, you also work with popular culture in the Balkans, right? That is that is correct. Uh, yeah. So today we wanted to talk to you about turbo folk. Which, um, well, what is exactly turbo folk? So turbo folk is uh, actually. Uh, the simplest way to explain turbo folk is that is a uh, it's Balkan popular music similar to American pop music, sort of mainstream pop, but that is specifically Balkan and it's very popular in Balkan countries such as Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, mm-hmm. um, even Croatia, uh, Macedonia, etc. Uh, but the music itself, the, the term turbo folk itself was a neologi- uh, neologism that was coined by um, Rambo Amadeus, uh, a kind of joker, uh, conceptual uh, artist uh, from Serbia. And he coined it in the 1990s to describe the rise of this genre to uh, spectacular popularity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the name itself is really interesting, Turbo Folk, and I think it really draws people in. Um, And it's composed out of this turbo, this prefix turbo, which uh, is associated with modernity, with speed, with technology, and then folk uh, as a signifier of people's music, but also of a specific kind of rural setting uh, of uh, peasant culture, as a seat of traditional and patriarchal values. So it's this kind of weird combination of the modern and the traditional that makes it, again, 
uh, Rambo Amadeus came with this term as kind of a, a parody of this genre in many ways. It's kind of a Frankenstein. Yeah. So this really interesting and weird genre arose in the time in the context of the Yugoslavian civil wars. So what were these wars and how and why did Turbofolk emerge in this period? So the Yugoslav wars were uh, a series of wars in the 1990s that resulted in the dissolution of socialist Yugoslavia and the emergence of seven new nation states uh, uh, on the former territory. Uh, the wars themselves were a part of a larger process of the fall of communism in Eastern Europe after 1989. Uh, but here again, the process resulted in the rise of democratically elected belligerent ultranationalistic uh, elites mm -hmm. who ultimately were responsible for uh, breaking apart the Yugoslav Federation. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, this is Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia and Franjo Tuđman uh, in Croatia. So the argument about turbofolk has been made that um, it is specifically Milosevic's regime in Serbia that flooded the airwaves with turbofolk, with this new kind of genre, specifically to um, uh, to detract from his disastrous war policies. Mm -hmm. So Serbia emerged from these wars, losing three wars and significantly reducing its territory. Um, so in this reading, Turbo Folk uh, is a kind of state-sponsored genre mm -hmm. uh, that was specifically financed by, uh, by Milosevic's regime and people close to him. Uh, and it shifted from a subculture, which it was during socialist Yugoslavia, uh, into kind of a dominant, a dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, this uh, this uh, this argument is a little simplistic because during this time in 1990s Serbia, the mass media was also massively privatized, mm -hmm. and so turbo folk. Uh, was actually one of the first commercial genres to emerge in Yugoslavia and was extremely popular also due to the demand. Mm -hmm. um, so in many ways, uh, while, um, while often it's associated with uh, Serbian ultranationalism and Milosevic's regime, mm -hmm. when you look at the majority of turbo folk songs, they actually promote very consumeristic values, mm -hmm. hedonism and, um, material wealth, conspicuous consumption, etc. That is very interesting. And I don't think we can truly appreciate Turbo Folk until we actually listen to an example. So now we're going to play a very infamous song called Nie Monotonia, which means it's not monotonous, it's not monotony by a singer called Seetsa. <laughs>
interesting song um, that has a, like a lot to unpack. So first of all, what, what exactly are the lyrics in this song about? So it seems to be a love song. Mm -hmm. It seems to uh, stage a kind of maybe thwarted or uh, a love affair where the two lovers are separated. Yeah. And is is love generally a common theme in turbo folk? Yes, it certainly is. Uh, I think very much like Western popular music, uh, most turbo folk focuses around some sort of romantic script. I think the most, of course, the most relevant thing here that you might miss from just reading the lyrics is the context. So how are these lyrics about separated lovers related to the context of this song and the singer? What's the story behind it? So the singer Tsetsa became extremely popular in the 1990s, and she was really the turbo folk superstar. And in 1995, she married uh, Željko Rajnatovic, also known as Arkan, who uh, participated in the wars in Bosnia and Serbia uh, as a leader of a paramilitary unit called Tigers. And in fact, Arkan was uh, accused and convicted of uh, mass crimes in, uh, uh, in Bosnia and Serbia uh, against civilians, specifically. And... Is this a common thing for turbo folk singers to be related to war crimes and nationalism? So I think Tsetsa is a uh, specific case and one that is perhaps most profiled in the media. Mm -hmm. So in 1995, when Tsetsa mar married uh, Arkan, this was a spectacular event that was televised mm -hmm. and drew a very large audience. And it symbolically represented this marriage of this uh, let's say, war criminal elite yeah. and uh, turbo folk subculture mm -hmm. as well. That's very interesting. And But what I want to talk about now is after this horrible period of civil war where turbo folk takes on this nationalist connotation, I'm wondering, has it changed from this? Has it moved forward? Has it taken on different connotations? How has it changed since the 90s? So I think one thing to keep in mind is that music genres are not fixed things. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that uh, popular culture and specific music genres change through time. Mm -hmm. So the kind of formal qualities of turbo folk uh, musically and stylistically can lend themselves to different kinds of content. So, uh, in fact, uh, Turbo Folk has changed a lot stylistically as well. So the kind of traditional elements, the elements of traditional mu uh, Balkan music have disappeared as well as traditional instrument uh, instrumentation. And the music has become, I would say, much closer to Western pop forms. So it's very similar to kind of club music or uh, electronic dance music. But what has been retained is these uh, kind of trilled oriental vocals mm -hmm. that you've seen also in Tsetsa's video. Uh, and then in terms of content, first of all, the, uh, the production values have also uh, gotten much better, more sophisticated, and new stars have also mm -hmm. uh, emerged on the turbo folk scene, uh, including, for example, Yelena Karleusha. Yeah. So maybe we can screen one of her, uh, one of her music videos and talk about it a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> 
quite a contrast between this video and the one we've already seen. Um, what's so interesting about this video? Is it still like very traditional or is it possible or does it also possibly promote any progressive values? So uh, the video uh, was directed by Dan Milicevic, who is one of the major producers uh, of Turbo Folk, not just in Serbia, but also in neighboring countries. And he identifies as openly gay. So in the video, uh, visually, uh, we have uh, we have Jelena Karleusha herself, or as she likes to call herself, JK, um, as well as her uh, backup dancers who are uh, sort of uh, their gender is not necessarily uh, seems very fluid, indeterminate and they uh, they basically display a certain kind of camp aesthetic, this kind of theatralization and denaturalization of uh, femininity and gender norms. And in fact, Dan Milicevic has been introducing a lot of queer aesthetics and gender fluidity into his uh, Turbofolk videos. So in many ways, yes, and uh, uh, Jelena Karleusha herself has uh, been hailed as a champion of the LGBTQ community in Serbia, and she has had public statements about uh, the need for the protection of uh, the rights of uh, gays and lesbians and other queers in Serbia. Yeah, so I know stereotypically people who listen to Turbo Folk tend to be seen as nationalistic or traditional. Um, how did they receive this kind of music? So, um, you know, this is purely speculative mm-hmm. in many ways. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I would say that that there is a kind of a stereotype about uh, the traditional or typical listener of Turbo Folk. And in fact, studies have shown that um, uh, the Turbo f- listeners of Turbo Folk in the Balkans cross sort of ethnic, national, mm-hmm. gender, and age lines. So even though, um, again, uh, there is this idea that Turbo Folk symbolizes uh, sort of ultranationalism, specifically Serbian nationalism. The reality is that most of its listeners uh, are in fact very diverse and bring a lot of diverse views and values into this music. And what does all of this tell us about how music and identity are ultimately connected? One of the ways to think about Turbo Folk, I think, is the ways in which uh, music places the listener in the social, uh, places them in the social context, and the way that music performs identity, mm-hmm. and the way that po- popular culture both reflects certain identities, but also challenges uh, fixed notions of identity as well. So from 1990s when Turbo Folk was associated with militaristic ultranationalism, we have a genre today that that can accommodate a lot of different, often contradictory identities, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really, really interesting, including uh, the fact that Turbo Folk as kind of the most popular uh, music in the Balkans is also... um, forming kind of this umbrella Balkan identity as well. It's a specific kind of Balkan sound, and it's challenging this idea of Balkan peoples as antagonistic towards each other, of Mm -hmm. Balkan fragmentation. 
So in the end, would you say that turbo folk matters because it shows how fluid identity can be? Not just in the Balkans, but in general. Yes, I think so. I think also it, talk, it, it, it tells us about sort of contradictory uh, messages that are embedded in popular culture and the way that popular culture can become a platform for mm-hmm. social transformation. Thanks. So thank you so much for talking to us about this really weird and interesting genre of music. I also wanted to ask you a few questions about just like being an academic, working in academia and so on. So what was your journey like for becoming a professor? How did you decide to do this ultimately? So, um, like I said, I was uh, I think it came kind of natural to me. I was always uh you know, kid who was, uh, who had his nose in the book. Uh, and uh, uh, in many ways, it was, it was a natural choice for me. Um, but um, I was also very, uh, I was very interested in uh, the work that my professors were doing during my uh, undergraduate education. Uh, and uh, I found a lot of value in it uh, as well. Um so, uh, so yeah, it took a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of years, but, yeah. <laughs> and it's still not over, but <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So what would be some advice that you might offer somebody who wants to go into academia? Maybe something that you wish you knew 10 years ago. So I think one of the, one of the misconceptions about academia uh, in many ways is that we do a lot of the work, the writing, the research individually, mm-hmm. but in fact, it's, it's sort of a collective process uh, that requires, uh, requires a lot of people and a lot of different expertise. Um, so that is from the archivists and librarians with whom uh, academics, uh, researchers often collaborate, mm-hmm. to students uh, and uh, other, other academics mm-hmm. um, and colleagues. So uh, my advice would be to connect with people mm-hmm. and to share your work uh, with other people mm-hmm. uh, and to have a kind of a lively dialogue. And sometimes uh, you need to actively seek that out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wish I had done more of that kind of networking, I suppose, yeah. uh, more early uh, uh, in my um graduate school or even undergraduate education yeah like going more into office hours and so on exactly yeah um yeah professors are great resources use them Mm -hmm. uh that's what they're what that's what they're there for yeah and what is the most rewarding part of being a professor for you so outside of research, which I think is a really uh, exciting process mm-hmm. and very adventurous process and something um, that I think really changes, uh, sometimes you can come in with one idea and come out with a completely different idea mm-hmm. uh, at the end. Uh, so it's an adven- uh, interesting, really interesting adventure. I really love the work with the students and specifically uh, in my classes, uh, I've tried to do collective and public facing uh, research projects with students. And I think that there is uh, increasingly a duty of academics and experts to, to create sort of public facing, public facing work. Yeah. And maybe this is also part of it as yeah. well. Well, that's all I have for now. Um, is there anything you'd want to add? 
Um, I wanted to ask you, do you yourself listen to Turbo Folk? Do I myself? Well, actually, sometimes, sometimes, not always. It's a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. Um, I would go back to Serbia. So actually, yeah, my family is also from Serbia and well, from the former Yugoslavia. They live in Serbia. And as a kid, I'd go back. So I grew up surrounded by turbo folk and similar kinds of music and sometimes you know when i'm homesick i just not a little bit and um but yeah it's it's like you said a very complex interesting multifaceted genre that um tells us a lot about identity yeah thank you so much for being with us today um, i'm happy to be here the views, opinions, and ideas expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Thank you for listening to the Slavic Connection. Please visit SlavXRadio.com for more information and to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. As always, we invite listener feedback, so please send us your comments. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.